Zach video here with Boston Speaks Up. I am sitting next to my cousin with a familiar last name, JP Servideo. What's up, JP? What's up, buddy? I'm doing well. I'm feeling blessed. I get to spend some quality Christmas holiday time with, with you around Boston. You're always all around the world in, inspiring young people. So it's a pleasure to, to, to get a little time with you. How, how are things going? It's going great, man. It, it, it's a pleasure to, to connect on this level and... You know, to collaborate and, and put something together that can, you know, hopefully create some thought-provoking and, and, you know, valuable information for other people out there. And the fact that we get to do this together, I'm stoked. So I'm glad to be around for the holidays, man. Definitely glad to be around. I want to get into what you do and, and whatnot, but I'd love for you to share sort of the road that you went on because it wasn't a normal road. I always had the thought in my head of why is school important? And part of why I wasn't good in school is because when I asked that question, like so many teenagers do, like, why is this important? Why is me, you know, learning about the history of this particular thing gonna help me in my life later? I don't wanna do anything having to do with that. No one could ever give me a straight answer. So not that it was a good philosophy, but my philosophy was like, all right, well, and I totally understood that not everyone gets, lives their best life. So I kind of bet the other way. I said, okay, well, I'm gonna do the opposite of what everybody else does because most people don't seem to get where they want and don't seem to live the level of life that I've wanted to live. Um, so that it was that question. And when, when I was a junior in high school, um, we had a school walkout. And they, the town that I lived in was about to um, cancel sports. And at the time, our hockey team was 16-0. and 0. And this is at Winthrop High. Winthrop High School. We were at Winthrop. Uh, I think it was my junior year. I don't think it was my senior. Oh, it might have been my senior year. But I think it was earlier that year, right? The same year that I found out I was probably not going to graduate high school. Um, and we were 16-0. and 0, And they said, okay, here was the situation. Ultimately, in a basic sense... It was either raise taxes in the town and keep sports or don't raise taxes and sports are canceled in the middle of our 16-0 perfect record season. One At the time, only, only two, one other team ever has had that record in our town for hockey. Right. Uh, and we were a Division II team. And if we go undefeated, we had to make it a Division I tournament. It was like a big deal. And um, so we had a school walkout. And everyone walked down to the center of town. And I remember right before we were leaving, I said to the two girls that were helping organize it, I said, okay, well, what are we going to say when we get down there? And they said, well, you know, we don't, um, we don't know. We don't need anything to say. We just need to get down there. We're going to do our chance. I was like, no, but when you get down there, we got to say something. So they were like, no, we don't need anything. Don't worry about it. I said, well, I'm going to write a speech. I'm going to write something to rally us together just because we got to say something. Right. And they insisted we didn't need it. But I was like, I'm going to do it anyway, just in case, because I don't think they really understand the point of a walkout is not only are you supposed to walk out, but you're supposed to like rally, make an impactful statement, like really secure what it is you were doing that for. Mm -hmm. And I remember we got down the center of town. We all walked out. You know, we told the school everyone knew they made sure if we were going to do it, that, that, you know, that they were going to make sure we were safe. And we got down the center of town and we did a couple chants and they were like, what do we do now? And all of a sudden, somebody was like, oh, JP's got a speech. Where is he? And I happened to be standing right next to them because I knew this was going to happen. He's like, oh, he's right here. So I got up. And what was interesting was I remember when I started speaking, you know, in high school, there's always clicks, 
right? There's always this click and this click and this click and, the, you know, the jocks and the, you know, the, for lack of a better term, like people would say, like the nerd kids, the kids that get whatever. Obviously, that's not how I view people, but, but you know, people use those terms and, you know, the, the cool kids and the not cool kids, like based on high school, you know, standards. Yep. And when I was speaking, everybody was listening. I remember looking into the crowd and seeing like a kid that I knew that was like this big, tough guy, whatever kid standing next to one of the kids that liked to wear all black and paint his fingernails, yeah. right? But it didn't matter. We all had a common goal. Mm -hmm. And at that moment, I realized that words had so much more impact. And I, I just, for some, and you know, I got a lot of compliments on that speech. And, I, and at that point, I knew that public speaking would be in my life. I that didn't know where. First, that was your first big taste. That was my yeah. first big taste of it. And the first big taste of public speaking, being able to just, you know, if everyone's got a common goal and you can articulate that in a way, then now you're, you're making an impact on everyone and bringing people together. And, and that felt really good for me. And then I was told I wasn't going to graduate high school. All my teachers thought I wouldn't. And um, my guidance counselor called me down the office and she said, hey, look, we got to pick out your classes for next year. And I was and I did just enough to get by, you know, just enough. My mother wouldn't bother me. Obviously not enough because, you know, I, I wasn't getting great grades. Um, and I remember that, you know, I made her say, was it mathematically impossible? And when she said it wasn't mathematically impossible, I said, okay, I got this. Okay, it's not mathematically impossible. I can do this. I'm going to do that. And I had to get, and she said, I said, write down all my grades. And she wrote down all my grades and I needed to get a 94 or above on every class uh, and the same on every final. So if I got straight 94s, A's across the board, but I got a 93 on one final, I wasn't graduating. And I could get a C in gym. Gym, I could get a C in. I don't know how I still needed Crazy. a C. How many weeks was it till graduation? Well, this was, you know, the day fourth quarter started. Okay, so, so it was the last quarter. It was the last quarter yeah, of my yeah, senior year. Yeah. I, I had no other options. They didn't tell me any suit. Like, and at no point were they like, hey, you're like, you know, this year you might want to get your grades up because you might not grad. No, they didn't tell me until like last quarter of my senior year. So I had said to myself, um, all right, I'm going to chalk it up. I'm going to do it. All right, I got this. Miss Dax that I got this. And... You know, I went back up to my room and I got called down to the principal's office five minutes later. I got to call down to the principal's office and I'm like, what, what is it now? And it was my mom and she pulled me out of school. <laughs> and she pulled me out of school and she talked to me, you know, just about how embarrassed she was and how like how I did so little. And, and that was kind of what a weird way. That was kind of the the emotional attachment to the result I needed. You know, fast forward to the last day of graduation because it's high school seniors, you know, you don't get your grades till the summertime. Right. So I had to go in the school the day of graduation, run by all my friends who were in their cap and gowns going into the gym and they were like, are you graduating? And I was like, I don't know yet because they have to calculate my grades today. And I ran They did an early calculation. They had to. to yeah. They to had no graduated. choice. Because because yeah. I was doing so well yeah. throughout the quarter, they were like, oh, he might. Like, we have to calculate this up now. Where was your mom at this point? Outside. Waiting in the car? Waiting in the car. She was sitting in the car because if she came in, all of my friends' parents, you know, it's not a big town. Yeah. All of my friends' parents are going to be like, oh, because everyone knew I was potentially not graduating. So she was waiting in the car. So I go in. I look at Miss Daxton. I said, kind of just put my hands in the air with this, like, look like, did I do it? And she's like, was like, yeah, 
yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, you did. And, like, she didn't really have any other words. So I ran downstairs. I, I ran outside and, and uh, said, Ma, you can come in. And she screamed at me. And I said, no, no, no. I said, I did graduate. And she was like, you could have done that for four years. She was, I said, all right, yell at me later. Um, and, and, I, and it's funny, she was right, because I remember that. And I start a lot of my events. I work with kids ta- telling this story. And I tell them it was the best and the worst day of my life. It was the best day of my life because I did what every high school kid says they, they can or want to do. I get straight A's if I want to. I could get an A on that test if I want to. I just don't want to. Yeah. And that's really just an excuse not to do the work. Right. Right. And so it was the best day of my life because I did that. Every teacher said, you weren't going to do it. So I proved everyone wrong. And at the moment, I'm like, see, guys, I told you, whatever. Like, I told you so, right? And it was the worst day of my life because I hadn't realized how many doors I closed before I even knew I wanted them open. There's quite a bit of uh, journey between almost nearly graduating high school and now internationally recognized yeah. public speaker yeah. and youth coach. What happened in between? I, I just, we were really close. We grew up really close together, but keeping track of you for some years was tough. At one point you were in Costa Rica for almost a year. Yeah. And then you were, you were traveling. Uh, did you go to Seattle? You know, I got a phone call from a family friend who kind of asked me what I was up to at the time. And I was like, honestly, I'm just working some whatever job till I find some other job to get into. And he's like, oh, well, I've got a house out here in Washington State. You know, I'm not going to give you any money or anything, but you can live for free. And I hung up the phone, booked a one-way ticket that day, called him back. I was like, all right, I'll see you next week. Yeah. And I flew out there. It only lasted about four months. Came back to Boston. And then I got another job. And... uh Moved up really quickly, and I was so I left and came back quick. And I was uh, executive at 20 years old for a national marketing company, and it was really cool because I got a sales job, and they ended up promoting me over my managers. So I had that position, held that for a little while, which really helped my resume. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my resume at the time. So you know, I'm 21 at this point, and I've got three or four years of management experience as a 21 year old, mm-hmm. which was huge, um, and that helped me because. After I was doing that job, once that, you know, the recession was kind of hitting at this point, everything was starting to close down, people were getting laid off. Like I got 2008. Laid yeah, yeah, it was like 2007, I yeah. want to say this happened. Yeah. And, you know, I had always wanted to live internationally, mm-hmm. and I was doing some research on places I could go and things I could do, and I found a friend that knew someone in Costa Rica, and I said, beautiful, and I left two weeks later. Jumped on a one-way ticket, jumped down there lived there for a little while and that was an amazing experience and tell us what you're grateful for from your costa rica experience a couple things two one thing that was really cool was realizing how how the same we all are right i got down there i ended up living with um a guy and he was actually from curacao like aruba bunair curacao he was from curacao and him and his you know two of his sons live there now and they both like his sons had kids and obviously he had two um and, you know, when I'm sitting around a table and we're talking and when you get to know these people, like, we all have the same motivations, right? We all love our family. We all want to have some money. We all want to enjoy ourselves. We all have these basic desires. And the second part was, I mean, dude, I was in the tropics. Yeah. I was, I was, you know, at one point lying in a stream that's like incredibly warm water overlooking a volcano in the middle of the rainforest, just like going... 
oh, this is nice. Like this is this is like really being present. D- developed a, a a presence and a connection with the planet. Absolutely. And tell me, tell me a bit about. What happened after, was it nine or so months in Costa Rica? So yeah, I was in Costa Rica for a little bit and then I came home. Now I was living in the tropics, right? So I'm living in the tropics and I come home and it's winter, right? So like December, like December, like 12th or 13th or something like that. And it was cold and like, you know, I got right back to work because I have family in construction. So I started doing construction and I'll never forget one day we were doing construction after coming home and i was like we we had to like put these windows in a house so we're working outside in the winter in boston and it had just snowed so the whole first half of my day was shoveling a path so that we could even do our work work. for the day and i remember walking around being like you know three weeks ago i was on a beach on the coast of costa rica in a bathing suit and now i'm here doing this okay this is i'm not this i'm not sticking around for this yeah and i remember i took whatever money i made for about a month stayed for the holidays and uh february 11th i remember oh that was the day i left and so you know in january i was thinking about it and i said you know what this I'm not done yet. I got to keep moving. I got to keep going. I had just had such a great experience in Costa Rica. I had a great experience in Washington State, although I wasn't there for very long. Um, but just being out there and meeting people was great. So I, I had just the bug now. Now I'm just on the go. Yeah. And um, I remember being like, where can I move that even if I had no money, I would really enjoy myself. And I thought the beach, because the yeah. beach is the only place we're doing nothing's doing something. Yeah. Right? Right. Like, if you tell someone you were at, like, home all day, laying on your couch, like, oh, you didn't do anything today. But if you tell someone you went to the beach all day, they're like, oh, wow, you had a full day. Yeah. Right? Like, there you go. But you, what would you do when you got there? You just laid around, maybe yeah. dipped in the water, right? Yeah. So um, I thought, okay, well, if I had no money and I'm struggling, where can I still enjoy myself? Mm-hmm. And I had never been to California. And I always heard great things about, you know, L.A., San Diego, the whole nine. There was a small part of me that thought about doing the whole acting thing in Los Angeles just because it'd be a cool, you know, situation. And I had no problem. And I knew it was good. I didn't think it'd be overnight success. I knew it might be five or ten years of grinding before getting there. But I had no issue with that. So I took a so I, you know, was in the cold. I said, forget it. Let's go. I took a one way ticket to Los Angeles uh, and then crashed with your brother. Yeah. Keel was out there and uh, ended up crashing with him for a few days. Had a place in Orange County I could stay, but really didn't have anywhere to live. Yeah. And uh, I had, you know, maybe 1100 bucks saved up from doing construction. And uh, I just was like, I'm going to stay where I like it the most. And I ran into a f- kid from my hometown of Winthrop in San Diego. Like we walked by each other in a crosswalk as I was checking out San Diego and he told me I could crash on his couch in the area that he lived in. I went and crashed on his couch. I liked it there. And I was like, all right, I'm going to stay here. And I went and got a job and, and made amazing. it happen and figured it out. That's amazing. And so how long was it before you got to San Diego that you hooked up with Dan Merrill and Fortune Builders? So I got to San Diego and just got a waitering job just to get me by. And then I got a job working for a marketing company because my resume was so good. I actually walked in for this job for doing sales and they hired me as the manager. Because <laughs> nice. they were like looking at my resume, everything that I had done, the fact that I had you know, lived in other countries and they were like, I want you to talk to somebody else. They hired me as the manager. So now I was doing working seven days a week. I was working as a waiter. I was doing that five days a week. Um, and then I got laid off again. 
right? And, and you know, story I've, I've had before in my life. I was like, okay, I get laid off. And I remember actually my move was I was going to move to Thailand. I was going to sell everything I had again and make a fourth move. <laughs> I was going to do it again. And for some reason, I remember being like, you know, I just am not done here yet. And my mom actually was on the phone with me working for a real estate attorney who said that he could send my resume to someone he knew in San Diego. And now at the time, I didn't even have a car. And they happened to have an office. So Fortune Builders and Than and Paul Sage, and they had an office <clears throat> in San Diego, eight blocks from my house. So as soon as I knew they, like, they sent my resume over to them, they said they'll get back to me. No one got back to me for a few weeks. I reached out to Paul Sage, who's Than's business partner, one of his partners. And I said, hey, do you mind if I drop by and put a face to the name? And he said, yeah, no problem. You know, we don't really have anything going on right now. I've got your resume, but like, you know, we'll get back to you. And I said, okay, but if I can drop by, great. And it was eight blocks from my house. So I had already committed in my mind, I'm going to work there. Right. Like they didn't know that, but I knew that because one, I couldn't drive anywhere else. Your intentions were already manifesting. They didn't even realize it. Yeah, I, I was already working there and, in my mind. Yeah. And for listeners, tell, tell them who, who these who these gentlemen are. I mean, Than's Th- got the, the show on A&E now. Well, yeah, and, like, well, they, they did that before. Yeah, so that, they're not doing any new episodes. But yeah. a while ago, they did. They were the Connecticut group on A&E's Flip This House. Yeah. So they were the East Coast group that was, you know, after they had built a successful real estate investing business, then they built and started building an educational business. So they had a TV show on A&E's Flip This House. They still see reruns, Than, uh, Merrill, Paula Sage, and JDS Age. And you'll see all these guys on the show. Yeah. And uh, I really didn't even, I just knew they were in real estate. That, yeah. At the time, that's all I knew. Yeah. But the thing is, is when I was in high school, part of why I didn't really worry about schoolwork is because I knew that every, anyone who had any real money did real estate. And no one ever taught me real estate in high school. So I knew not only like that I learned about like how I liked public speaking, but I also at that time remember thinking like real estate's gonna be how I make my money. I don't know how I'm gonna do it yet. But that's the path. But that's that's gonna be in the path. I didn't know where, right? Right. So I had always I had put these all these pieces together and once I knew something, like let's say for example, like the reason I always did waitering jobs is because I always knew I'd be doing some sort of communicating verbally. Mm-hmm. And waitering and bartending jobs, you deal with you don't you know you have no choice on who sits at your table, and you have to know how to communicate and give them a great experience. Right. So I always I started by building skills, even though I didn't know what I wanted yet. I started by building skills, so communication skills. Didn't matter what it was, waitering, bartending. You're building communication skills. Sales. You're building communication skills. So once I knew that they were in real estate and I knew real estate was a skill I wanted to build, I had committed that I'm going to work for these guys. So I ended up showing up to their office three days in a row until somebody would talk to me. So what do you do? You show you show up, you hit up the receptionist. Hey, I'm here to see these guys. Do you have a meeting? No. Yeah, well, I walk in day one. I walk in day one. I wear a full suit and I walk by and I say, hey, I was on my way to some other interviews, mm-hmm. which I wasn't. Right. Yeah, I had nothing, but I, an excuse to wear a suit and not look weird. Fake it till you make it. Yeah, totally. And there's a, there's a great TED talk. It says, fake it till you become it. Yeah. Just fake it until it's actually true. Yeah. Right? So um, I remember I'd wear a full suit. I go to um, <clears throat> the other uh, girl at the front desk. I said, hey, is Paul here? He said I could drop by and put a face to the name. Now, he had just said that yesterday. Like, I just got that email from him yesterday. Like, yeah, here's our address. Drop by and say what's up. So I drop by. She said, no, he's not available. And I really politely said, okay, well, do you mind if I just come back another time? She said, yeah, no problem at all. So I came back the next day. I said, hey, I was on my way to some other interviews again, which I wasn't. And I said, oh, it's, you know, Paul here. He said I could drop by and he happened to walk by me. We have a real quick conversation and he kind of tells me he gave my resume to his manager. His manager will get back to me. Mm-hmm. 
But, you know, I was there trying to build a little rapport. He had like a little Red Sox something on his desk. I said, oh, Red Sox. You're trying to build a rapport. And he's like, all right, well, we'll get back to you. So I go back out to the reception. I said, is that person available? She said, no, he's not available. He's working. I said, okay, well, if you don't mind, I'll drop by another time. And she's like, okay. And um, I left, came back the next day. I was coming back. I had decided I'm going to come back every single day until I talk to who I need to talk to, until they give me what I need to give me, until they give me what I need and give me a position. So I come back the third day. And as soon as I walk in, now the girl like knows me. Right. And I'm just polite. And I ask if I can keep coming back. Because there's one thing to learn is there's a difference between being polite and uh, being persistent and being a pest. Right. It's two very different things. I wasn't bothering anyone. I was very polite. I asked if I could come back. When they said no, I said, totally respect that. I'll come back another time. Wasn't pushy, but persistent. I was yeah. going to come back every single day until they accepted me. Right. So, um, so that day she goes, okay, I'll be right back. She's like, ultimately she knows she ain't getting rid of me. Yeah. So she goes and gets the kid that's supposed to actually interview me or at least talk to me. I don't even know if it's an interview or what yet. And she comes back and says, he'll be right with you. So now I'm sitting in this. By the way, were you in the same suit three days in a row? <laughs> uh, yes, but different shirts. There you go. <laughs> different right. shirts. I actually was in the same suit. At the time, I only had one. Yeah. And I, oh, did I have a second one? No, I think I was in the same exact You were just suit. rotating shirts. I was rotating that shirts. That I remember. <laughs> I was rotating shirts. And so, I, um, so I'm in the office and I'm like, okay, I'm going to sit here. Now I'm looking around on the walls and now I'm seeing the A&E stuff. I'm seeing like magazine articles with them on the cover and I'm like, oh, these guys like, they're not just in real estate. Like these guys are legit. Yeah, they're legit. They're a pretty big deal. I said, okay. So now I'm sitting there like trying to do the whole like cross my legs thing. Like trying to look really professional as I'm waiting. She says he's going to be right with me. And there's people walking around the office. One of them being JDS agent, who's one of the show's guys on Flip This House. And I'm hoping someone's going to talk to me. So that I can like show my personality yeah. and show like, yeah. you know, build rapport with people. Yeah. But everyone was just kind of looking at like, who's this weird yeah. kid in the office? Because the company was very, very small at the time. Yeah. So everyone knew everyone. So yeah. if I'm in the office in front of everyone who knows each other, they're all kind of looking at each other like, who's this kid? Yeah. No one's talking to me. 15 minutes goes by. 30 minutes goes by. 45 minutes goes by. An hour goes by. And I'm just... I have I had committed. I was like, I will be here till tomorrow if I need to. You told me someone's coming to talk to me. I'm not moving. Yeah. And I'm like smiling at people, but like trying not to be too cheesy, trying yeah. not to be weird. And eventually, over like an hour, 15 minutes or so, the guy who was supposed to come see me walks in. He's like, oh, you're still here? <laughs> and I was like, yep. You said you were coming to see me and no one told me otherwise. So I was going to be here till you did. And he kind of at that point walked me around the office and was like, all right, well, I don't really have a position for you. Like, I don't have anything you could do, but I guess I'll give you a full-blown interview in, you know, two weeks. So great. I'll see you then. Yeah. I got an interview, nailed the interview. It was like multiple interviews. It went through this whole process, and they made a spot for me. That's amazing. And that's how I, and that's What how year I was that? It. That was 2010. That was eight and a half years ago. Wow. So just, could you go through a bit about what you did? For yeah, so at first, at first, I was just answering phones. Like, I'll sit here, right? Whatever you need me to do, have someone call the phone, tell me what I can say, and that's what I'll start doing. And they kind of just made a spot for me like that. And then we started building out these events. And there was this situation where you could travel. So they didn't even have, like, they did events, <clears throat> um, but not on the scale they do them now. Mm -hmm. So they were building, you know, this event um, um, format where they could go out and teach people in, you know, different states. 
and it I here's what I heard. I heard travel. I heard real estate, financial education. I'm in. Yeah. Right. I'll travel. However, and so then I started doing that. So we ran, you know, events all across the country, and. If you remember earlier in our conversation, I said, you know, the thing I problem I had with high school was like, I was always asking, you know, where's the stuff I really need? Yeah. And I always thought about that. And then when I learned everything they were teaching, I remember at one point going, this is it. This is what I need. This is what I needed. Yeah. This is what I wish somebody told me when I was 15 years old. And yeah. I always wanted to start a business. And I always believed, um, and I believe it was Richard Branson. I always read a lot about people, right? I read a lot about successful people. And one thing I read ab about, I believe it was Richard Branson that said, oh, start a business to solve a problem, right? If you're in it for money, you're in it for the wrong reason. Start a business to solve a problem. And if you solve enough problems, you'll make money. Yeah. And the problem I wanted to solve was everyone's saying i wish i knew that in high school i wish they taught this in high school so what i my goal one of my goals is that you know 10 15 years from now no one's gonna say i wish i had that in high school they're gonna say i wish i took advantage of it because it was there now mm -hmm. now it was there now it's on me so i traveled with them learned a lot about real estate did it a little bit myself got into the game did some real estate investing myself really kind of learn the process um, and really just helped coaching other students. That's what we did as a company was we taught events and then sometimes we had coaching students that would come aboard and I kind of facilitated who we brought aboard or not. You know, so I was the one who kind of made the decision, you know, was it the right time for you? Are you financially prepared to start a real estate business? So the insight that I got was I sat down with adults one-on-one, -on -one, looked at where they were now and where they wanted to go and why they haven't gotten there before. And I've done that with over 10,000 adults. So picture and imagine the, the, the information that I gather from those conversations, looking at someone who's an executive or makes 200 grand a year, but why they have 20 grand in the bank. Mm -hmm. What is it that you've been doing that you've only got 20 grand in the bank, you're 60 and your whole life and this is what you've saved and you've got a great income? Like what was the, the disconnect here? And learning all that information on top of learning from Than what I should be telling them, Right, because right. it wasn't my opinion. I didn't. Yeah. We didn't go give our individual opinions. Right. Dan taught us. Okay, when someone's in this situation, here's what I would do. He Being wouldn't say what the solutions. Yeah, well, I was taught all the solutions to then articulate to these people, and that's where I put it all together. So that's what we did for them. Was I traveled around the country? Uh, I did. We did one international event, which was like an inter more internet marketing than real estate, um, and I did that for a very long time. You're on a really cool mission right now. Tell us about it. The way this whole thing started really was I, and actually what's funny is, so I real, I started learning from Dan and Paul and I, the first thing I, I started building my credit, my credit, I had a good credit score. So I say, I'm going to teach high school kids one thing and it's how to build credit. So I'm going to go to teach high school seniors how to build credit. Now I've never done this. So I got to try to find an in and I was living in California and what's crazy is I reached out to an old teacher I had in high school that happened to be teaching now in Northern California. And I actually had failed her class once. Oh, so I had to take her class twice. And she was like a brand new teacher. I got to be honest, Miss Andres, if you're listening, I'm sorry for everything I ever did. I think I reached out to her one day and I wasn't a jerk, but like, I didn't make it easy on her. Let's you just gave say her a hard that. time. Yeah, I mean, I was just having a good time. So yeah. it really didn't matter what she had to say. I was going to enjoy myself. Yeah. Um, so I reached out to, to uh, a teacher that was up there. I said, hey, you know, I've been doing a lot of different things. And, you know, I noticed that you're working up in Northern California. 
I'm really just trying to find a school where I can give a presentation to high school seniors about building their credit. And she got me into four different classrooms in one day. So I flew up there and I did this one presentation to four different classrooms. And it was over. I could tell the way I did it. It was my very first presentation. You know, I wanted to record it. I got one testimonial. Yeah. Uh, And I remember one kid at the end of the class coming up to me going, um... Like he apparently he was a really smart kid, and one of the teachers at the end said, "What a, like he said that kid's a little more advanced." But this advanced kid came up to him and was like, "I didn't, I never even thought about good debt versus bad debt." And he just walked up to me, shook my hand, like really genuinely, like, "Hey, thank you for coming out here. Like that's gonna help me a ton." Like a type of kid that's probably gonna go yeah. to Stanford, whatever. So a bit of an aha moment, like reaffirming, reaffirming what I'm what doing, doing is the right thing. Yeah. And then I brought it to Than. I said, "Hey, Than." Look, you run these so. So you did you tell that you went and basically were like I'm gonna get. I'm proof doing of this concept. either way. Yeah, I'm doing this. Let me go test it out. Okay, now I just went and I got a taste of it. I see the path. So I'm yeah. Go, yeah. I'm gonna go build off of this. Yeah. So now I realize. Well, not only can we talk about credit, I can talk about all these other things. So I want to run an event. Well, we run events as a company. So I went to Dan and Paul and I said, Hey, look, guys. Um, so so they do these events all around the country. They do a lot of events on a consistent basis. And then at those events, people can become coaching students. So once you're a coaching student, Van and Paul run continuing education events for those particular people. So that's a different event that they run. You have to be a student. And, you know, we got to a point now where at this point we're having, you know, sometimes seven, eight hundred, nine hundred people coming to an event all around the country. So Ultimately, what happened was, was I said, hey, we're having this large group of adults who have an entrepreneurial mindset, who are trying to make different choices, who realize there's a financial education they were never given. What if we tell these people that we have events for teenagers where they can bring their kids mm-hmm. so they can be going to their event and in that local area, all the people around, because I figured just the people that were there would start bringing their teenagers to the event. So they'll be in a different room with me, same times of the day. So they'll drop them off, then go to their event. I'll have them all day. When they're done, they come pick them up and they go. Right. And, you know, Fan, who's, you know, he, he was, he was, in, he was in, interested in the idea. He liked it. So we ran one four-day event because um, at the time, that's how long they Where were. Where was it? In, it was in San Diego. We ran one four-day event, and what was funny was, not only were we having kids from the local area, but people were flying their kids in for this event. So we ended up having like 60 kids. So a bunch of people from the Fortune Builders Network, a bunch of the adults who had, who had invested in the education from Fortune Builders, flew their kids in. Yeah, like we thought it would month. just be the kids from San Diego. I didn't realize that. I, wow. I didn't think that was gonna, I thought maybe like maybe one or two. So it was immediately a magnet. It was immediately people were like, I will take my kid out of school for this. So we started running this four-day event. It, was, it started as four days in the summer. Then we did another one next summer. So we only ran one, then another one the next year. And then me and Than and, and some of his partners sat down and talked some more. And, you know, Than's the type of guy that, you know, you can, you can have a lot of good ideas. But he's so successful because he really dots his I's and crosses his T's. Right. So he was like, great, you know, we did one event and that's great, but is this something we can do more of? So we had to do it again, make sure it was replicable. So we did another one in Baltimore the next year. So now it's not in our hometown anymore. It's not in San Diego anymore. Well, let's fly out and do one. And we had another successful event. And then we started doing them, you know, parallel to every event that they run, Uh, not like on their continuing education events. So now we have a four day model. We have a two day model. And then they do a big event at the end of the year, which is three days. So I, there's now 
multiple day events. So it really just depends on what makes sense for that particular but weekend. Amazing. I, 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 there's actually details about all this stuff too because you're up to so much that I'm getting right now on the podcast with listeners. You mentioned just when you got back the other day, you started to get me up to speed on what you're up to internationally, like what you got going on in Jamaica. Yep. You sh- can you share a little more about yeah, what's so, going on Yeah, so, so we, I had an, uh, someone from the Fortune Builders Network that reached out to me. And people are always reaching out to me now about, you know, you know getting involved. But no one tells me how they want to get involved or what actually do they bring to the table. Everyone's just like, hey, how can you help me? Like coming to me and say, hey, how can you help me do what you do? And I'm like, okay, well, I mean, I'm busy, so I have things to do. Like, how do you want to ha- I mean, how do you want help? What is it can I do to help you? So this one guy was like, hey, I have connections in Jamaica. I want to bring this. They don't have financial education down there. And Jamaica's just building a credit system. They're just starting to really learn about the stock market. Actually, this year, I just read something recently that Jamaica is the second best performing stock market in the world. <laughs> like our stock market has been crashing this year. Jamaica's is going up. So like, but they have no, but they have no financial education down there. There's actually in Jamaica, you can get a loan to go to a party, party loans. You just go, they give you a loan, you go to a party because, you know, that's, that's what's important down there is going to a party, not credit or nothing like that. So they're just building a credit system. So he's like, I want to bring this down there. And it took us two and a half years of planning, um, but we made it happen. And, you know, a lot of people always ask me, like, is things different? You know, wh- you know, Jamaica's different currency. Everything's different down there. Would you, you know, are you going to teach them different things? Because what our event is now is not only do we talk about, you know, we talk about personal development and building habits, goal setting you know, stock, stocks, how it works, real estate, how it works, how investing works. I don't give financial advice. I just explain how it works, right? right. It's like when you play Monopoly for the first time, you got to learn the rules of the game. Right. So this is just making sure that they understand the difference between making this decision and this one and the results of those things, right? right? Because kids aren't, kids aren't irrational. They just don't think something bad's going to happen, right? The development of the brain, a kid's brain when they're a teenager isn't actually... Not that they're irrational. That part of their brain is fully developed if you look at the science behind that. But they, their logical part of their brain doesn't catch up to their mid-20s. So they don't actually think bad things happen until they've seen it, which is usually too late. So we ended up bringing uh, this, all this education down to Jamaica. And it went really well. We ran a two-day event in Kingston. And then I traveled through four different parishes. Um, so we did Kingston and three other parishes where I did these one-off. We did an assembly tour. So that was really cool to go give these one-hour, 45-minute speeches to these schools where wow. the kids couldn't get to Kingston. So I had to drive to them like three hours outside the city, places you would really never go. Very unlikely you would go if you were traveling to Jamaica. Right. Or you go to Montego Bay, you go to Negril. Well, we were in like the country. And uh, it was a really cool experience. So, um, yeah, cool. it was a lot of fun. It will be interesting to see the future Fortune Builders alumni as they yeah. progress through, hit their goals, become parents, and become stewards of all this information to their children. And that, to me, gives a lot of hope for the future, like initiatives like the one that you're, you've embarked on and the impact that has compound over time. The compound effects. Right, is, is really interesting. So talk to me a bit about that. Talk to me a bit about your goals. Yeah, so um, it, it, it's, it's really interesting. And one of my favorite things that happens from this event is kids communicate better with their parents because now they realize why their parents won't buy certain things, won't do certain things. You know, one of my one of my favorite things is knowing that parents and kids now have a better relationship, and it's really cool because parents tell me that there's a there's a there's a basic thought that I always keep in mind 
is that it's my event isn't is it although we teach very factual you know information one of my main desires is it's a quote that i that i kind of developed as i worked with kids and it's the desire to learn is greater than any single piece of information right because i can teach them about money which gets them interested but i want them to ask questions when they're getting bullied at school Mm -hmm. like i want them to how you do anything is how you do everything so now i want them to reach out to an adult and say i'm having a hard time right and if they can do that so that's that's one of the main goals about it um, and as far as my personal goals, I do a lot more online stuff. I've got a lot more in 2019. I'm going to have a lot more online content coming out that's readily available for people. Um, my Within five years, I was talking to my buddy. So we're going to try to do two international events next year in Jamaica and, uh, you know, at least one more. My goal is once we do even an, another kind of round of events this year, that it starts to really pick up speed. And hopefully within maybe five years, we can do every island in the Caribbean mm-hmm. because a lot of the connections down there can can be universal. And mm-hmm. Some of them have connections at other islands. And right. if once we get three or four on board, it might be easier to get the other ones on board. So within five years, we want to have every island in the Caribbean and then expand from there and make this a completely global concept of financial education and you know and i'm sure right now as people are saying that people are hearing that they're thinking like okay well you know australia or london and all these places are so different financially right there's different rules different stocks different you know denominations but what's not different is something like return on investment it's just a percentage right your percentages right it's just about you know i don't teach buy and sell a house this way you should learn that from a real estate investor who's got 20 years of real estate experience Mm -hmm. i just teach them that hey real estate can bring in money like this you know stocks do this you know understand that money put here goes down in value money put here goes up in value that's the same everywhere you just give information you provide information and you're, you're not hey here here is what putting this money into video games like get you return Here's what putting it into, you know, this particular, you know, savings opportunity gets you for a return. Here it is compounded over time. You guys do what you want. Do what you want. And what's interesting is at the end of that, like it kind of light bulb went off for me and I was like, oh, so what's the relationship like with parents or what, or what's your biggest frustration with parents? Because my assumption was like, I feel like I'm a dad now and I I know it's gonna be hard for me not to, when I know, when I feel, all right, this is the right decision for my daughter, just tell her what to do. But... I imagine that some of the friction that is that you feel exists between the students you work with and their parents is the parents just tell them what to do. Well, save your money. That's better than spending on the video game. Whereas you take the approach of, hey, here's the information. And those who live a prosperous life make these types of decisions. That's some information. Take in all this information and then go live your best life as you see fit. Yep, exactly. And, you know, yeah, it's funny because um, that, that's, that, that is the approach. Because one, one thing I keep in mind is, look, I'm not perfect. I'm not the, the I don't consider myself the best investor in the entire world. I, 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 I think that we all have faults and we all make mistakes and, and we all do things wrong. And even in my events, I may say something wrong. So a lot of my theme is double check everything that I'm saying, right? And I also make sure that they know, look, you can be 
a miserable person, you could be a drug addict, and for some reason things work out, and you could be rich later in your life. And you could start off making all the right decisions and it not work out later. We've established that, right? Okay, good. But understand that there's some very common themes if you don't want to play the chances, or if you don't want to play the lottery and hope you catch a break, and you actually want to do the foundational things that successful people do, here's what they do. Here's what consistently unsuccessful people are known to be doing. Do what you want. because And look, I understand what's hard for a parent. What's hard for adults is you're so emotionally attached to the result of your daughter, right? Like you don't want to see them hurt because how much is it going to hurt you when they are hurt, right? Mm-hmm. But you and I both know they're going to make mistakes. You're trying to prevent as many as you can, but the thing is, is you're not going to prevent them because when you tell your daughter or you tell your son, hey, uh, go do, don't, save your money, don't buy that video game. Well, all they think in my head is, well, what makes me happy is playing this video game. It doesn't make me happy to to uh, to put my put money, money over there. Yeah, it doesn't make me happy to save my money. It makes me happy to do this. So that's what I want. You're telling me what you want. You're not telling me what I want. My By the way, my whole event, right, starts with me just writing on the flip chart. What do you want? Like, I came here to help you get this. It's not what I want for you. I don't care. And the thing is, too, and parents, don't take this wrong, but I'm not there for you either, right? Like, I'm there for your kids. I'm there to teach them how to get what they want. Now, it does. I don't discredit you. I don't make it worse for you. And a lot of times it ends up better for you because I say, look, here's how to get what you want. And I also talk about your parents are doing this because they're trying to help you and they don't realize they're making certain financial decisions. You know, people kids say, you know, like when we grew up, we didn't have cable. And I remember asking my mom, wow, why can't we have cable? Well, she was a single mom with three kids. We needed food, right? Like, but I didn't understand that. I just knew everyone else had cable and we're very short-sighted at that point. So it's really hard for parents because they're so emotionally attached to the result of their kid. Mm-hmm. They're so emotionally, so that you would never want to see them hurt. And what I've learned is though, is that communicating with kids, I we just have to sit down and really clearly show them the difference between their decisions and the consequences of their actions because again, they don't actually think something bad's gonna happen. So when I talk to them about, hey, bad things do happen, as opposed to shielding them from that, because that's another thing that the society's doing right now is we're shielding our kids from even thinking that bad things happen. We don't want them to know bad things happen. We want them to think the world's this lovely place and people are great. Yeah, don't work out that way. It really, I mean, I'm not saying people aren't great, but there's bad stuff happens. They need to be aware of it, understand how to deal with it as opposed to shielding them from it so they can handle one bad thing. Because now, if you do that, if something bad happens in that kid's life, they're not going to be able to handle that. I'm proud of you, cuz. Like, hearing you share all this and, and just the mindfulness you have, I kind of, as we're coming toward the conclusion, I wanted to bring up a, a couple of the more personal questions, like, two that go together really well. I mean, obviously, the biggest thing that, when I asked you the biggest thing you missed about Boston, you said family, and also the the person that you you know you consider your biggest influence in your life is your mom. Yeah. Um, and talk to me, talk to me a bit about your mom. And then- part of the reason that that she's such a big influence for me, and what I why I consider that is because of, you know, I, I feel like I was given the right principles and morals as a kid. You know, if you don't say any, you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all, and just hard work. Just being willing to work hard, being a good person to people, understanding that we're all equal. I mean, these were things that have been so found fundamentally in my person because of her and, you know, watching her figure it out, knowing now watching my family, right? Like like my sisters have kids and everything and, and my friends starting to have kids, right? You having a kid and knowing how hard that is. Mm-hmm. Well, to think of her having three of us. 
and the situation that she was going through and probably the personal stuff she was dealing with, how she got into that situation and watching her persevere, you know, that was, it really made me grateful for what I have, Mm -hmm. right? Because, you know, as tight as it got and I, and I tell stories, you know, in a book I wrote about how, you know, there was one day where it was really tight financially but there was always something to eat like she always did make it happen you know and that that's part of why i, I do I, I do miss family it is the hardest part about being away is is the family and the people you know I, yeah you mentioned people difference between san diego and boston i wanted to unpack that a little bit there's just a, a little bit different sense of loyalty mm-hmm. there's a little bit different sense of um and it makes sense, though, because, you know, the East Coast was built far sooner than the, the West Coast. I mean, as far as civilization, yeah. I mean, yeah. there were people on the West yeah. Coast, but, you know, West Coast is a much, California is a very young state comparably to Massachusetts. Yeah. Right. So uh, the people are just different. And, and you know, I feel like, um, you know, California and San Diego is a lot of transplants. So it's a lot of people from other places. So yeah. you're getting the group of people that are you know, travelers and, and moving from place to place. There's a lot less sense of community. You know, in, in San Diego, you know, your neighbors barely talk to you unless you really go out of your way. But even when I've tried to just say hello, they, they might say hello and they keep going. They don't really want to engage in a conversation. They really want to get to know you because they don't really care. And it's not that it's in a bad yeah. way. They just, they're going about their yeah. life. They're doing their own thing. They're worrying about self. Yeah, well, right. you just hit on something that's been a topic of Boston Speaks Up through a few podcasts now, which is the um, the sense of community and loyalty that s- strangers, but I say it with quote marks, it's just everyone's just kind of got a sense of like, oh, like you're my neighbor, you're my friend. Like since being home, like I have a neighbor across the street when my mother-in-law is like going down the stairs with some bags to go in a car to head back north of the city he runs over to like help her in the car and help her with the bags. And there's like examples like that all the time. And, and Lucy Maffei, she's from Tuscany, Italy. She's been in the States five years. Her mom visits Boston for the first time. And she had in Lucy's been in DC. She's been in Chicago. She's been in Boston almost two years. And she's like, yeah, people are really friendly. And then my mom came and she was here for 10 days. And she's like, Lucy and Lucy was like, "What do you think of Boston? What do you think of Bostonians?" And her mom was like, "They are so so kind." And she and I've told this story now on the last couple podcasts yeah. because I just want to keep reinforcing it. But you know, you're you're a native Bostonian. You grew up in Winthrop. You know, you grew up with that fun Winthrop Easty yeah. sort of yeah. rivalry. Yeah, absolutely. But you understand the city and like I like generally speaking, I'm very careful not to talk smack about one place or another Agreed, or trying to yeah. compare simply like i'm not trying to compare california and boston i i actually feel a sense of home in california, yeah, I california. That, I, that i would have never expected to in all the years that i that i spent out there it's where i fell in love with my wife it's where we got engaged it's where we where our daughter was born uh but generally speaking i feel a sense of uh loyalty and pride being from boston it's not like i always have to be here i want to be here right now but there's um there's something special about raising a kid here and around the people that are here yeah, and it's not to slight other environments but it's it's a pretty special environment and the whole sort of sometimes stigma around boston being like a cold place or or you know maybe tough to acclimate to like it, it definitely yeah. has its curve but when you get in like when you embed yourself in a community in boston 
you know, well, a lot of shit can go down and your random neighbors that you didn't even know yeah. will come out of the woodwork to help you with anything. Well, and that's what in, I love about the city. Yeah, even being in California, if I have my Red Sox hat on and someone's like even bothering me or kind of stepping me, if there's another kid in the room with a Red Sox hat on, like I know he's got my back. Right. Right? But that's not how it works in California. Like you're not going to see two people with Padres hats on. Right, just straight up be like, I don't know you, but I got your back because I know where you're from. Like right. it's just not it's just it's not the same. Like I said, it's not everybody. And uh so it's really interesting. But but what's kind of unique, and I don't know if I've ever actually mentioned this, I've done some other podcasts and I've done some other things. All you know, what's crazy is is that I actually spend what I consider almost every day with my family, even though I live in California, because when I teach my event I use what I've learned in conversations that I can't have with certain people that I know very closely. Because you know, sometimes it's harder yeah. to really talk to people that you know. Right. And I have those same conversations with teenagers. Like I had, I've had girls and guys that have been dealing with situations and I know a friend of mine is out with and I've tried to talk to them about but they don't listen because they know me so well. And I have the same conversation with a teenager, but I'm thinking of the person that I grew up knowing and I have that conversation with them and they're like, oh my God, that's such a great way to think about it. And it helps them, mm-hmm. right? Because they're so detached from me. So when I built my event, you know, I built it for 15 year old me and us. Right. Like I didn't build it. I don't know these kids, right? I built it for me. I built it for us. I built it for like- Our cousins. Look, yeah. think about this. Like I, I wish somebody told my mom in high school about this because when she had three kids, she would have been better off. Right. So that's the conversation that I have with them. So I, I, in a way it keeps me connected to my family, but it is. The biggest thing I miss is family, food, and uh, you know, the people are different. And like I said, I love California. It's an amazing place. There are great people out there. I mean, I'm not saying that they're not, because like I said, I, I do consider it somewhere that I always want to have some foundation there. And it's made me, and it's helped mold me into who I am. And sure. it's also helped me to calm down and help me live a more lifestyle by design yeah. life. So I'm very grateful for my time in California. It's not a negative thing at all. It yeah. just is a difference. Yeah, for sure. Uh, as we sort of wrap up here, I do want to call attention to the book you published last year. Uh, high schoolers guide to to money yep and for listeners they can get that on amazon yeah you can get that on amazon you get that on amazon uh tell us how the like just real quick i mean how how the book how's it done like how how did it come about i mean it's it's a it's a fun quick like informative read for parents and for kids yeah yeah it's 100 pages um no we uh you know fan merrill and i co-authored it you know so you know, the financial education stuff in there. He's just so much further financially than I am. I'm on that path and I'm working towards it, but he's been doing it so much longer. He's got such a high level. He's just such a high level guy. Um, You know, as we started building more events, you know, we want to find other ways to get this information out there. So we built the High Schoolers Guide to Money, a very simple, basic understanding of financial education and things that were not taught in school. And this is just something that, you know, we wanted to make readily available to a lot of different people and anyone that can access it. So, you know, we made it short and sweet. Uh, It builds off the event, you know, because it's really just these foundational principles that we're trying to get out there. So, uh, yeah, and, you know, it hit one bestsellers list, so that was cool. Um, So, yeah, you could definitely find it on Amazon. um, That's awesome. We'll throw a link link up in the the blog and and throw it up when we're uh, tweeting out the podcast eventually. So, last fun question before you leave... I noticed Royal 
is temporarily closed. I know you usually go and get a royal roast beef when you fly in to Boston from Cali. What's on your sort of short list? You got mom's making, your mom's making food on My Christmas. mom's making food. What's on the short list of like foods you need to eat at either, you know, made by mom and also just that you're going and seeking at restaurants and whatnot. What's on the checklist? Cause you're here till, you're only here till like the day after I, Christmas. Yeah, I got a few more days here. <laughs> so, um, pizza, right? Love pizza. So I got to have pizza. Where? Pizza, Where pizza go? center pizza down, down the center of Winthrop, right? And that was like yeah. my routine. I would go down there, have a slice before I go and did anything. Just so long. Walk yeah. down there cause it's close to my house. I, I got to get a roast beef three way. I got to get an Italian sub. Um, if we're talking food, maybe some fried, some fried clams. Um, I mean, Kelly's got some good fried clams. Oh man. I mean, Italian, I mean, and then anything else my mom and my sisters are cooking cause they both like to nice. cook. So. And don't call it a sauce, right? Well, you know, you know what, since we're, since this is out there now, I'm going to, I'm going to make sure everybody knows the difference. Now look, if it's your family thing and you call it what your family calls it, I get that. <laughs> but we call ours gravy. You call whatever you want, but if you want to have ours, you got to call it gravy. There you go. And here's the difference is sauces, gravy is meat based. So turkey gravy is gravy. Italian, you know, what goes on pasta can be gravy. It also can be sauce. If you just use tomatoes and basil and all that stuff, that's a sauce. We make a gravy because it's meat-based. Is you know, there's pork and there's, you know, uh, meatballs yeah, and yeah. all these other different things. I can't give you all the secrets, cool. but uh, so so that all goes into it. So for those of you who are always questioning sauce and gravy, look, if it's your family thing, you call it what the family calls it. I get that part. But it does not to do with what color it is and what it goes on. It has to do with how it's made and where does all the flavor come from. So, right on. So that's what's important, man. Right on. JP, it's been a pleasure. I am. I draw a lot of strength and inspiration from you, and I look forward to the two of us continuing to chase our dreams and staying in lockstep as as cousins and really as as brothers. And in the future years, like, however, I'll always be storytelling, whether it's this podcast or other things i look forward to to reconnecting you over the years and and helping share what you're up to with what you're up to with the world yeah no i appreciate it man and and i and i feel the same way about you you know watching you go do the the go to a great school and and do what you love and be happy and the family that you're building and you know to me that's inspirational and and it's really cool that that we get to leverage each other's experiences this way and then get come to a point where we're collaborating and not even forcing it because this does make sense for both of us. You know, it's really interesting how we both took such different paths. We both got the opportunity to see each other's path, learn from each other's path, and then find us in a place where we're doing similar things and, and communicating and doing our best to make an impact. So so I, I feel the same way, man. I, I'm pumped, glad we could do this, and uh, yeah, I'm really glad it worked out. Awesome. I love you, cuz. Love you too, buddy. All right. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. All right, Boston. That's that's it. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.